Hey everyone, Arthur Staple, welcome back to the Garden Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic, joined as always by my co-host, the immortal Steve Valiquet. Valley, what's up my friend? Very mortal. I'm I'm told, I'm told that I'm two days away from getting my voice back. I'm on a Z-Pack right now. This is, this is hopefully oh. the end of this run that I've had. All right, well... Steve's all roided up, so things could get a little spicy here. <laughs> yeah, we could, I'll have to get ready. Um, it was a heck of a game last night. Rangers beat uh, the Wild in a shootout, rallied from a two-goal deficit after the first period, uh, and then kind of the reverse of what they did against the Devils on Saturday where they lost a two-goal lead and then lost uh, in overtime to, to Jersey in Newark. Um, little bad news from last night. Uh, Julian Gauthier left after the first period. He took a kind of a big sandwich hit from Brandon Duhame and and old friend Ryan Reeves. Um, and then Chris Kreider, much bigger deal, went out after he bumped shoulders with Marcus Foligno, who is a big boy. And uh, Kreider doesn't usually uh, have any ill effects from from bumping shoulders with people. So Rangers practice in a little bit today. So maybe we'll know more. Uh, we'll see if either of those guys is on the ice, and uh, we'll talk a little bit later about what an absence, especially for Kreider, might mean. But I want to start off by talking about the guy, to me, that was the MVP of that game and last night, and that was Adam Fox, who, you know, it sometimes it's hard to it's hard to notice when he's doing something special because he's such a special player and he does a lot right every game. But 11 shot attempts, which uh, I looked up, tied a career high for him in a game. Six on net, a goal, an assist. And, and really, the assist that he had on the on the tying goal for Filipito late was a he was trying to score there. He wasn't making one of his perfect passes. Uh, 28 minutes of ice time. Um, I think everything he did it pretty much everything except go in the first three in the shootout, which I kind of thought he might have, considering how he was going. But this guy is fully back to his Norris Trophy level and maybe has exceeded it because he's a couple years older and he's been asked to do a little bit more this year, a little bit more penalty killing. Um, Steve, when you look at a guy who you know can do special things, um, do you notice even more special stuff like what he did last night? Arthur, did you get a chance to see his post-game presser? I was there. I asked him a couple of questions after the after the group was there, but I wasn't listening in. Oh, certainly. So, so you saw him in the locker room, yeah. And his face he had he had a furnace face last night. Did you did you pick that up? <laughs> I didn't. So I oftentimes look at somebody's effort over eighty two games by what they look like in the post game, and his <laughs> face was beat red. I want to say that Arthur he emptied the tank last night, and I mean emptied it. He gave everything that he had. We both know that covering Adam Fox some nights, it can look like the game's very easy to him and he doesn't have to expend too much energy to have great results. Isn't that fair? Yeah. And last night, I just felt like in the first period, the Rangers, as we know, they could have been up two or three and they're down two. Right. Mika could have had three assists in the first period alone. And that's the unique thing about this team and why they're good is because they have star power at different positions on different lines and anybody can take the game over at any moment. Kreider leaves the game and I feel like there goes one of the core pieces and one of the core guys now has to step up and give a little bit more. And that was Adam Fox last night. You know, and some nights it's just Durkin. But last night it was Adam Fox and I just thought he was everywhere. And you know how we watch hockey every night and some nights you can say to yourself, wow, is this player even playing tonight? I haven't heard his name once. Sam must have said Adam Fox a hundred times last night. 
you know? And it was really a unique thing because, well, not unique to him, but just to the game of hockey because we oftentimes talk about how it takes a team to win, but that was a one-man machine. Yeah. I yeah. thought he was you know, just outstanding. There's not enough that I could say and enough superlatives that I can find to describe how well I thought he played last night and overall how well his season has gone. And I think this is interesting, Arthur, because last season um, I went back and looked at all of the decors in the NHL and how many points they had to accumulate to be a Stanley Cup playoff team. And I think we talked about this on one of the previous episodes. Right. And what was unique about the list was that five teams last year as a decor had 200 points. And of course they all made the playoffs. Well, this year the Rangers are tracking for well over 200 points from their decor. And that's a significant piece of offense. And I think it's interesting because the way the game used to be played, like we're talking a lot this year, how different players, the way the teams are playing, the way the goalies maybe aren't playing, but the conversation is around goal scoring and a guy like Adam Fox and his impact over the last few years, it's really making and forcing teams to adjust now defensively. He really makes you think about how you're going to approach your D zone because he joins it so well. And I think back to the way that we played, Arthur, where wingers would be up on their points and it would be essentially a three on three down low, mm -hmm. right? The other team has three forwards down low. We've got two D in a center. We're going to sort it out. And then everybody stay where they are on the blue line. And then we'll get out of our zone and do it in your zone. And that's how the game was played, right? It was so simple. But Fox, Miller, Schneider, we Lindgren. see these guys. Lind Lindgren's Lindgren. doing too. Yeah. They jump up. You know what I always say to myself, Arthur, when I'm watching the game? Go. Because they add value. And the third forward fills in for them so well. There's such a, a shift now in the mindset. And offense is taking over. Offense is taking over, but it's because the D's just know how to activate so well. And I'm just so impressed by it. But Adam Fox, it's like when I played, I remember thinking to myself, and I'm talking about in net, I'd see one of my D's join. I'm not naming any names, but I'd see a D join and I'd be like, would you stop going? You absolutely <laughs> won't score. You have no offensive ability. You never score in practice. You suck. All right. Just stay back. And I never feel myself having that whisper in my head right now when I see these guys that we're talking about join Fox being the best. There was the, no the number from last night that I saw uh, on uh, Natural Statric, which is a great site for, for quick, basic numbers after each game. Uh, Fox, in all situations last night, 57 shots for when he was on the ice, 15 against. And oh sometimes you see those numbers and you're like, well, you know, like if I saw Ryan Lindgren have the numbers, I'd say, well, maybe Adam Fox had something to do with that. Adam Fox had the most to do with that crazy differential and the incredible total because he had the puck in the offensive zone. It felt like 90% of his shift. Yeah. No, that was uh, certainly a night where the analytics add up to the eyeballs. Um, yeah. When we parsed through the data and, and before we got on air here, you were talking to me about how Adam Fox's expected assists are a little bit lower. Um, do you have that number in front of you? Because I don't. I do. He is sixth in the league. He's got 19.47 expected assists this year, and his actual assist total is 11. And so that that real assist versus expected differential is minus 8.47, and he is at least, I think, two and a half uh, assists worse than anybody else in the league. And that is fully you know, ranking everybody that's made a pass in the NHL this year. There's no minimum. Yeah, the next closest is Carter Verhage at minus 6.5. See that? Yeah, that's interesting. He's just a guy that 
you know, and we I think we talked about it, and I've certainly written it looking at that number. You know, Eric Carlson had such a big lead, and Fox is whatever fourth. He's within ten points of the top of the the you know Carlson at the top of the D scoring list, and you know Josh Morrissey's having a great year in in Winnipeg, and Hampus Lindholm, I, who I think is really to me, if I was voting right now, those two guys would be the choice. It's either Lindholm or Fox for for the Norris. Um, the scoring numbers where you say if you're a if you're a voter, you know one of my fellow writers voting for the Norris, saying like, well, you know Carlson's numbers are so much better. You look at this and you say, if the Rangers could convert, yeah, Adam Fox would be right there with him. <laughs> well, uh, that was one of the one of the topics we had in the pregame show last night. So we took a deep dive on the last fifteen games, which would have started December fifth against St. Louis at home, when really right. the Rangers season turned its turned over and started moving in the right direction. Um, they were fourth in five on five scoring per game. And I thought that was interesting because it's with all the big boys that are playing really well right now. So to support that and to support the conversation we're having, look on our site, look on our site at the shooting percentage over the last 15 games. The Rangers are third in the NHL in shooting percentage on their scoring chances. In the previous 26 games, Arthur, they were 28th, 28th. Wow. You know, that's why they are where they are in the standings and they're not in first and I think it speaks to how good the team actually is for them to have withstood that that type of a bad shooting percentage that they had for the better part of the season over 26 games at 28th. To me that's that's an enormous number. It's an absurd number and for the level of talent that the team has, you know, I'm very surprised that they ever hit that low, but I think the positive is and the silver lining is would you rather go through that in November? Or would you rather go through that in March, April? Right. Or you know, May. like worse, or May. May worse, or worse? It hit you hard in the playoffs. Um, and, and I want I want to share this with you too because you have access to our database. Whenever you want to look at how accurate this data is, it's right there for you. It's there for our clients, and I put it there for a reason because I want teams to look under the hood and evaluate how we track scoring chances, and I want them to buy in, right, Arthur? Because sure. they pay us they pay us well for it, <laughs> but. No, I'm serious. Go to the multi-game summary and you're going to see that there are 3,850.92 expected goals, but the actual goals scored in the league this year is 3,868, and that's removing the empty nets and not posts, but it's 99.5% accurate right now. That's where we're at, and that's why teams sign up to use our service, and it's right there for you to see. The point is, is that when we have the Adam Fox conversation about his expected assists and where would he be if the Rangers were scoring at the rate that he is setting them up and putting them into scoring position. I'm just telling you it's accurate. I, the best compliment I got from a really good NHL coach this past summer was that CSA is the closest to the bullseye. And of course, trying to have a model that is running current with the actual goals that are being scored is proof in the pudding to me. So that's Certainly why I get excited about having these conversations about hockey and trying to evaluate it the right way. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. 
See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Last night I did, uh, was in the Keandre Miller scrum and asked him about Fox. And he said, you know, I get to have a front row seat and watch him do what he does. And I try to pick up some of the things that he does. Um, well, if that's another aspect of Adam Fox's game, then they should maybe give him a little bonus on top of that <laughs> big contract because Keandre Miller has taken another big step forward, as I think we all hoped and thought he would when the season began and just based on how he finished last season and went through the playoffs. But uh, another highlight real breakaway goal for him last night where he fights off Matt Boldy, who's who's not a small kid, um, fights off John Merrill trying to disrupt him and and beats Marc-Andre Fleury and really gets that, that second period going where the Rangers were completely dominant. Yeah. Um, you know, and you saw a little bit of mixing and matching that I think we've seen a little bit more of uh, in certain situations, especially late in games, whether mostly when they're looking for offense, you see a little bit of Miller and Fox together. They were on the ice together uh, for the Heatles tying goal in the third period, whether that was a quirk of guys changing or by design, we don't really know. But but uh, but Miller's step forward this year and it took a little time, you know, I think. The struggles that that he and Jacob Truba have had in their own end, whether bad luck, some bad play, injury hampering Jacob Truba at the start of the season, um, they seem to have leveled themselves out a little bit. And Miller, the confidence for him is it's not Adam. You know, he doesn't do what Adam Fox does, but he's got it in him to to think about it. And you were talking about, you know, we see Ryan Lindgren, who's not a, a natural offensive guy, moving through the zone, creating chaos. Uh, you see Braden Schneider uh, talked to him a little bit yesterday morning about doing that. He's a guy who's, whose biggest year in junior was eight goals, and he's got five at the midpoint of this season. So yeah. I think his confidence is obviously growing. But I think there's got to be some effect when when guys see not just what Adam Fox can do, but but a guy like Keandre Miller who has all the tools and everybody's told him you know he can put it all together. When he starts to put it together and you can have – D rotation after D rotation of guys who can make those kinds of plays, that becomes a much scarier prospect for opponents, I would think. Yeah, doesn't it? It's it's always such a big thing, Arthur, to have your star players to be the most dialed in in their preparation and their work ethic and how they lead in practice and certainly how they execute. And when those things are observed from a younger player, you just don't know how powerful that is. I think that's part of the reason why the Boston Bruins have what they have over the length of time they've had it is that culture and it's what the rangers have really cultivated since 2018 when they've had to turn over and add and you have not a lot of tenured guys from that point right now in the lineup because of the turnover but now you have new guys that have taken that leadership role and we admire greatness as athletes and i admired Henrik Lundqvist for that because of his approach. And believe me, I took notice. And everybody that played with Henrik took notice of his approach. And when they have results at the highest level, like Fox does last night, isn't it neat that Keandre Miller does have a front row seat and oftentimes gets into the mix and plays with him as well, but knows that here's what this guy is. Here's what he stands for. Here's what I want to be. And it's a part of his growth, you know, and, the two goal lead stuff is fascinating to me and how it's been fa- really just vanishing at points this year. Yeah. But it's an individual effort from Keandre Miller that allows everybody to know that we can have belief here, guys, because we're getting a push from 
our back end again to help us out and the offense benefits from it. But his individual move, and I thought this was fascinating last night. I got a chance to talk about this during the second intermission. And it was that NHL defensemen don't get breakaways. They just don't. And, and Keandre's got three now in the last two years. Last year against Florida, which I thought was the goal of the year. Right. And this one against Philadelphia this year. Also I the thought, goal of the year until further notice. Uh, that's right. And I'm like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying to myself. I'm just like, oh my goodness, this guy is a human highlight reel. And his goal last night, the way that he got that separation before he pokes the puck ahead to himself to be able to then have a move. If you back that up and a skills coach would do this with, a, with an athlete, there's five, six, seven things that he did perfectly to make that happen. So he's a he's a fascinating player to watch. And another one of those guys that certainly uh, Shesterkin could sit back in his crease and be like, yeah, Keandre, go. I'll take care of everything <laughs> back here because you do add value. Every time he gets up there, he helps. And the really neat thing about him helping is that he's always able to get back because he's such a great skater and he's got so much length. You mentioned the two-goal lead uh, evaporation trend and we saw it i think a little bit last season but this year it's really become something that's um you know so incredible to see and we had the kind of the microcosm of it in the two games that we saw the one in jersey where the rangers were up the one last night and i think the common theme that you can see is that the team that was not playing as well as the other team was the team that was ahead the rangers were really not um you know they were Igor was was playing well. They weren't really controlling the puck a lot against Jersey, but they got the you know they got a couple breaks. They got some goals, some timely goals, and they're up going into the third period, and it you know quickly disappears. A power play goal, and then uh, you know a broken play, and Jack Hughes ties it. Um, and then last night, Rangers all said, and it was quite evident. The Rangers, you know, Mark Andre Fleury was doing his usual fish out of water routine, stopping everything in his unorthodox style. They hit three posts in the first period. It could have been three or four nothing Rangers. It was two nothing Minnesota. And I would guess what you're going to say, and you and I have talked about this, is that in years gone by, the reason those leads never, you know, held those reason those leads held up, teams would incredible, you know, clamp down, would turn into a shell, whatever you want to call it. And I and it just seemed like, you know, you, you either don't have the firepower to to overcome it, or there's a there's a a psychological aspect to it, uh, you know, if historically two nothing leads or three nothing leads are insurmountable, you go down by two, whether it's in the middle of second period or the middle of third period, you're like, all right, well, I guess we'll get them again next time. <laughs> exactly. And I, and I don't, you know, and it's, it's certainly a testament to guys like Jack Hughes and guys like Adam Fox that nobody changes the way that they play when they go down a couple of goals anymore. And that is really seeming to me created this no, you know, that is the, the most unsafe lead in hockey, it seems. <laughs> you know what you know what I'm thinking about as you were talking there was Scott Gomez. Scott Gomez said to me recently, he's like, Yeah, Valley, I didn't like when we got up by two or three because I never played. <laughs> and I was like, Really? He's like, Yeah, I gotta be honest, there was times I'm on the bench and I'm actually hoping the other team scores so I can get back out there and be a part of it. And I thought that was just an interesting comment because Scott Gomez the style of player that he was, wouldn't he be a terrific player today in today's game, sure. the way it's played? And I think he was ahead of his time the way that he thought because he always wanted to be out there and, and factor into the game. Now, what I thought was really interesting was an article I read from The Athletic this week 
uh, from Jesse Granger, who writes for the Vegas Golden Knights. He had a really nice article on two-goal leads and how they've been vanishing this year across the league. And I think the Ranger fans think it's just us. Now, the Rangers have come back 11 times. They've come back and won 11 times. And they've certainly given away their leads this year as well. But I don't think it's us. I think it's the league. And there's some data to back this up that Jesse Granger did. And and the one thing he said in his article was that there's been 72 multi-goal comebacks entering Monday. And with less than half of the season uh, gone for most team, we're on pace to have the most multi-goal leads turned into losses in the history of the NHL. The record is 138, and right now the league is on pace for 160 multi-goal lead comebacks. So, of course, we have to look at why is this happening, and in preparation for last night's game, I didn't think actually that Minnesota would be a team that the Rangers want to get behind on, because you're looking at their stats, and when they score first, when Minnesota scores first, they were going into last night's game 15-2-2. When Minnesota leads after one period, they're 14-1-1. They're a very good lockdown team. In the mm-hmm. NHL, as wild as the NHL is being played right now, they have the fewest giveaways in the NHL. But Minnesota did lose to Buffalo in a similar fashion on Saturday night. So you're kind of looking at the game last night before it's played, And these were two very even teams. At one point, I said on the broadcast that I thought Minnesota was really the Western Conference version of the New York Rangers. They have the same goals for, same goals against, specialty teams very equal, their records, how both teams are playing right now. It was a really even matchup. But getting back to the two-goal leads and why it's so wild, and even a team as good as Minnesota that's able to lock it down typically had a hard time with the Rangers last night. I just wonder about how offensive our defensemen are right now. And that's what we've been talking about so far this pod. And you see the value that they added last night. Both guys factored in in the scoring that we've been talking about in Fox and Keandre Miller. But most teams just have pivoted around from being a checking line and enforcer team. And I think around the league, that's really affected the fact that I don't think many coaches can really lean right now, Arthur, on a line that we know is going to lock it down and shut it down. And we're going to be better than what offense they can produce. And I think the rule changes have really made it hard for teams to defend well. And I don't think that teams have bona fide number ones, true number ones around the NHL like we had three years ago. And I know that we discussed this on a previous pod about how many goalies have retired in the last three years that were 60 game eaters. Right. And there's there was 12. I know we talked about that. So I wonder about that as well. And I just, there's so many factors, right? It's not one thing, but it's a perfect storm in the NHL right now where no lead is safe. And I just think it's really important that the Ranger fans know that it's, it's not us. It's a league-wide epidemic. So the Rangers will be on the ice, uh, like we said, a little bit after we're done recording here, and we'll find out if Chris Kreider is going to practice. Uh, my instincts would tell me probably not, but you never know with a guy like Kreider, who's uh, about as much of a workout fiend as anybody on that team. Um, but if he's out, you know, we talked a lot about Alexi Lafreniere last week and how you have to seize your opportunity as a young player, no matter how much opportunity you get to make yourself noticeable, and it hasn't really happened for Lafreniere, especially the last few weeks. Um, But if Chris Kreider is out, this is an opportunity, and that's how teams look at it, next man up, and for the Rangers, the next man up to 
to move up the left wing uh, depth chart is Lafreniere. So he doesn't have to switch to the right to get back in the top six if Kreider is out for a couple of games or, God forbid, longer than that. Um, and here's an opportunity. And he hasn't really done a whole lot since his return from the one-game scratch. Um, you know, his line mates have. Philip Heedle's been good. Um, you know, Jimmy Vesey had the opening goal against uh, Jersey off a very nice play from Lafreniere. That was probably the most noticeable he's been in that game. But when you're thinking about, oh, no, Chris Kreider might be out for a little while. We'll see what happens. Um, the Rangers do have a better-than-average replacement, shall we say, in the top six on the left side, in theory. In practice, what does Alexi Lafreniere have to do if he gets that spot for a week or a game or even a couple more shifts? Like, you know, does his – he has to do something to to seize control of this narrative that seems to be spinning away from him and the team that, that he's not as good as advertised. All right, so – a lot to unpack there. I, I, no, and I mean it. It's it's probably the worst possible time for the player because he's not playing well and he doesn't have a lot of confidence right now, right? And I've been in this position where I'm not feeling it, and sometimes, sometimes the team when they're developing you can lose your cycle. And what I mean by that is there are times where you are ready to go. And I mean this, like I'm in practice and I'm dialed and I'm like, doesn't Torch see this? Like, I'm ready to go. Why am I not getting the start? Like, what what the hell is going on here? And I'll ask and he'll say, not this week, Valley. And I'm like, what? You know? And then it gets to a point where two weeks go by and I'm like, you know what? Don't even play me right now. I'm not even ready. Like, it's been too long, you know? And you've, you've really got to manage that conversation in your head. And right now, just from what I see from Lafreniere, he doesn't have confidence right now. Um, it's what we see. It's what we understand. It's what we can take away from the overtime against the Devils the other night when he's got a play to make, but he can't make a play and it goes back the other way. Can you imagine how that made him feel? He was already feeling like crap. Yeah. So at the same time, I wonder if he has had so many good experiences in the game and this is really his roughest patch, does he still have enough to lean on to be able to pull it out and make something happen here when there is no evidence of him playing well up until this point? He's got five high-danger chances over the last 16 games. Oof. All right? Like that, for a, for a guy that's always been good, can you imagine what that feels like? Like, we always talk about it's okay if uh, – if a player's getting their chances and they're not scoring, right. but it's time to worry when you're not getting chances to score. And I think that's where he's at right now. He's going to need a stroke of good luck and good fortune, and then hopefully be able to turn his season around. But it's, it just so happens that this opportunity doesn't happen at the best time for his cycle, if that makes sense. That's just the way I felt as a player. Yeah. Well, we saw last night, um, you know, he, he had the puck with some with a bit of a head of steam in the second period, trying to get out of the Rangers zone. And I think it was Brandon Duhame that uh, kind of gave him a you know reach for the puck, but mostly was just trying to impede Lafreniere out of the zone, just kind of gave him a whack on the shin guards. And he went down. Instead of just powering through it and saying, I'm I've got a chance for an odd man rush here. I'm gonna I'm gonna get going. He hit the deck. Kelly Sutherland uh 
it was right by the wild bench, and I think he heard a lot of reactions to his arm going <laughs> up. So it suddenly became a four on four. And um, I'll say just use that as a, another example of uh, I, I would imagine that a guy who was the first overall pick and was a dominant player for three years in junior usually wouldn't give a crap if someone tried to take him down as he was heading out of the zone. He wants to make the play. So that's a number one, probably another example of where Lafreniere's head's at. Number two, we were getting into it a little bit before <laughs> before we started recording about the call, which we don't see as much as when the embellishment call first came in, when I think referees were a little bit hesitant to put a team down a man from pure embellishment, which to me, that's what you got the rule in there for, so you get you should be able to call it. But this is seemingly the compromise call, which is there was some inf- minor infraction committed. The player who was the victim in that scenario embellished it. So now I'm going to take them both off and make it four on four. You are okay with this. I am not. <laughs> Tell me why you're okay with this. All right. I'm, I'm okay with it for parts of what I know and parts of what I don't know. Okay. And I'll start with what I do know. What I do know is that referees, if you try to make them look silly by embellishing a call, when they make it for you, like that instance last night, and you try and do an extra little bit of a fall or we call it a dive, an embellishment, what was going to happen last night was that there was a tripping call that was going to be assessed. And then Lafreniere enhanced it by the way that he fell in embellishment. And the referee says, you know what? Screw you. Now you're going. I was already going to call the trip, but now you do that to me? Screw you. You go. And I'll teach you a lesson. That's what I saw. What I don't know is that in the past has Lafreniere fooled Kelly Sutherland and that's in his memory bank because I'll tell you right now, I'm friends with a lot of referees. They remember every time <laughs> you make them look like an idiot. If you make me, and I would be the same way. You want to you do that to me? All right, I'll remember that. And that could have been a past history call. I can't say that for certain, but that could have been a past history call that really upset Sutherland as well. Yes. Not is that a good is, case? That's a good case for that. That's a good case. We always, <laughs> I, my, as happens in whether you're on Twitter or comments or whatever. That's where I read it. People don't understand that rule. How can it be both? Yeah. It can be both. It absolutely yeah. can be both. I get that it can be both. I still feel like it's a bit of a cop out. It's either you're either, it's either a penalty and you're going to stick with the penalty or the guy embellished it to get your attention. And that's what you call he was going to call it anyway. That's my point. He's going to call it anyway. That's a trip. I got you. Oh, you want to do that? Screw you. You're going too. That's what it is. <laughs> See? Yeah. And and I'll say this fully uh, up front. It's an impossible job. I, I criticize. Oh. I, I'm sitting there watching games and I have my Twitter open and I'm just as dumb as anybody who's watching the game with my instant reactions, just screaming from the neck saying like, oh, I can't believe they're calling it like this. You know, I, I, uh, the Carolina game where, where Jordan Samuels Thomas, who's a great guy, a Connecticut guy, went to Quinnipiac. Good friend of mine, too, by the way. He's a he's, great guy. He's fantastic. And I'm yep. so happy to see him get in NHL games. He was in the AHL the last couple of years. Yep. And he made a letter of the law call on Jordan Martinook late in a one-goal game for playing with a broken stick. And boy, did he get a lot of grief for it. Yeah, but here's the thing, right, Arthur? The guy's consistent, okay? Yeah. This, is, this is the only thing that you want from a referee. When you make your first call of the night, that's the bar for what everything comes after. 
So don't call it by the book in the first and then don't make that call in the third. That's not the score and the time of the game should not reflect a referee's behavior where Jordan Samuels Thomas, the next time the Rangers play, they're going to say, oh, we know, we know, we know he's going to call it. So boys, hey, he's calling it sharp. So this is how this game's going to be played. And if we are smarter than them, we'll be on the power play more than they will. And we're going to win this hockey game. And that's that's a part of how you prepare your team to play. Yeah, so I'll I'll take my issue with the refs and I'll and I'll eat it afterwards because I know that they're all doing an impossible job. Impossible at this speed, at this speed, Arthur, at this speed, forget about it, man. We we would be lost out there. Oh, I can't even 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 if I was wa- watching from above, there's things that I would you know if I was the eye in the sky ref, the 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 hoped for thing that everybody talks about, which would be ridiculous because the game would take nine hours. Um, you're still going to miss stuff. You're still going to miss the little, the chicken wing that somebody tucks a, a a stick under their elbow instead of, and tries to draw a hooking penalty. Just these guys are fast and good and smart. And the refs are right there at eye level with them trying to figure it all out. So, yeah, well, that's why I don't fool them. I mean, well, see with the video and the quality of the video we have now and make no mistake, the refs are being assessed tightly after every game. They have to answer to people. And if you make me look like an idiot, I will get you back. I'm sorry. There's payback. I'm telling you right now. I was so kind to the refs. I was so kind out there. How's the wife and kids? How's your son doing? Is he still playing Little League? You know, like, that's actually just quickly. That's the funniest part of when I first got called up by the Islanders in uh, 99-2000. I'm on the bench, and I came from the American Hockey League, and before that, the East Coast League, where in the minors, the refs get abused. Abused. You get to the NHL, the referee comes by the bench, and this is my first game, and I'm sitting there and playing against the Anaheim Mighty Ducks at the time, and Paul Career and Timu are just rolling around out there, and I'm like, wow, this is a pretty good seat. You know, refs come up, hey, Valley, nice to see you up here. I saw you last week in Toledo, and I'm like, yeah, I made it up here. You know, they're talking, and they're so kind, and they're going up and down the bench asking everybody how the wife and kids are. I couldn't believe it. There was such a professionalism about the NHL that I hadn't seen towards the refs in the minor leagues. And I'm sure if any referee picks this up, they will know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, good. This is the insight that we need so that maybe I won't shout like a doofus on Twitter next time I see a bad call. Be kind to the refs. Be kind to the refs. That's the lesson everybody should take away from today. So uh, I think that's all we got for this week, Steve, as always. Great stuff. Hey, buddy, my pleasure. Let's do it again next week. And thanks, everybody out there, for listening to The Garden Faithful. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review if you're enjoying the show. That really helps us out. And right now, get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month. And you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. Steve Baliquette, Chris Flannery behind the boards, Arthur Staple. Catch you again next week. Thanks a lot.